This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. You know it is hockey season now because if you live in Minnesota, you might have woke up with snow on the ground today on this day, October 14th, 2022. A little too early for that in uh, in my estimation, but you know what? We don't control the weather, at least not yet. And uh, so we take what we get. It looks, it looks nice and it's going to be gone soon enough. And uh, that's uh, that's just the way it is. But the Wild opened its season on uh, on, on Thursday night. Did not look uh, did not look good either. Kicking uh, kicking field goals while the Rangers were scoring a touchdown seven three final. There, I'll get to that here in a minute. Some familiar problems. Some interesting insights from that game. I uh, got to get to a Carlos Correa item. Sounds like the opt out from his contract is getting closer to official. And we'll spend the bulk of the show talking to Ben Gessling, Vikings beat writer, about the Vikings, about Sunday's game against the Dolphins, but more in particular about uh, about their, their plan to stay healthy this season, how it's been working so far, and a little bit about the offensive line, too, and how much better that unit has been and why. First, though, what did I miss? i got to start with that wild opener because that was the big story from Thursday night. The wild kind of came out fast in that game. We're controlling play against the Rangers, but wind up losing 7-3. to three. And I think there's two big concerns that you can take from this game, even if it's just one of 82. Uh, the first and foremost being that they played really loose, and that's a style that they might be able to get away with against some of you know the lesser teams in the league, this kind of up-and-down style. I know that's the way they want to play. I know that that's the way they like to play. That's not necessarily going to be the way they can play every night, especially against better teams, and especially once they get into the postseason, presumably, although if they play like this every night, they're not going to get in the postseason, uh, but presumably they're going to need to tighten things up as the season goes along, especially when they get to those more critical junctures like they did last year against St. Louis where they got bounced in that first round. So that was a concern to me because you looked at that game and you're like, well, the Rangers have just as much firepower, if not more. Why why engage them in that kind of game where it's going to be up and down the ice and, uh, you know, and Dean Everson was was particularly pointed about that after the game. Let's hear from the wild coach quickly here. Not just D-zone player, defensive game, period, right? Um, checking, uh, missing checks, uh, everything. Uh, our complete defensive game was awful. Our offensive game was real good. Their goalie was great early. Um, you know, could have been the difference, but um, we definitely have to do a better job uh, defending. So yeah, didn't like the defense, didn't like the checking, didn't like much of anything, especially results-wise. Now, the second thing, though, that I need to note is the goaltending. Marc-Andre Fleury gives up all seven goals on 35 shots. If you go to the advanced stats, naturalstattrick.com, one of my favorite uh, hockey advanced stats site, the game was much closer than 7-3. In fact, if you look at the scoring chances for the Wild had more scoring chances, 34-28. to uh, they got more shots. They won more faceoffs. Um, and in terms of expected goals, when you add up everything that they were doing, every you know all the shots they took from certain spots on the ice, the Wild was expected to score 3.95 goals on uh, on Thursday night, and the Rangers were only expected to score 3.11. So if all things were being equal, if the Wild had a little bit more output and if they were shutting down the Rangers a bit more, and that's defense and goaltending, but a lot of it goaltending when you have that big range, it might have been more like a 4-3 to three game. So that's a concern. When you're giving up twice as many goals 
as expected, more than twice as many, that points to an issue. And, you know, they don't have Cam Talbot to fall back on anymore. They don't have this kind of tandem, this duo where they could perhaps get away with that. Um, You know, it's going to be Marc-Andre Fleury for the bulk of this season and Philippe Gustafsson for a part of it. So I don't know. I don't know what what to make of this game in terms of big-time takeaways. Could just be a one-off. Could be the kind of thing where you play a really good team, you, you catch a couple bad breaks, things like that, and uh, and you're not able to not able to get things done. But uh, you know, it just felt like it felt like a game where if they're trying to play this new style, if they're trying to maybe tighten things up a little bit this year, realizing they don't have Kevin Fiala anymore, might not have quite the scoring punch they had a year ago, trying to maybe redefine their identity to a certain degree. It backfired. It failed uh, on Thursday night. You know, their best players were not good. Kirill Kaprizov, a minus four in this game. I mean, maybe the biggest bright spot was Matt Boldy had two goals. Looked like he's still going to be a big factor even without Kevin Fiala. But, you know, Jonas Brodeen was a minus four. A A lot of players just did not have good shifts in the defensive zone. And again, the Rangers are going to do that to a lot of teams. That's going to happen to a lot of different good teams. And I still think the Wild is a good team. The Wild are a good team, but... They, I wanted to see more. I wanted to see an identity shift in this game that I just did not see. And I, I want to see more of kind of the, what Sarah McClellan and I talked about on Thursday show, more of an effort, a conscious effort to understand they're not just going to be able to outscore teams all the time. So that is what I know about that game. I'm not going to panic after one game. I still think you know they're a good team. The Rangers might be the best team in the Eastern Conference, might end up winning the Stanley Cup this year. Uh, a lot of opinions can change after one game, but I did not like what I saw in a large part, especially on defense and in net on Thursday. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Fridays on Daily Delivery, we often talk to Ben Gessling, Star Tribune Vikings beat writer. And uh, with, with the Vikings playing once more before the bye, Ben, facing third string quarterback Skylar Thompson. Um, yeah. For those of you who are not uh, familiar. The Dolphins seem to have a pretty good quarterback plan in place going into the year with Tua Tagovailoa and Teddy Bridgewater, but that has been thrown into the concussion protocol. But that's Ben, that's a little bit of what I want to talk to you about at the jump because I looked at the Wednesday injury reports. I haven't seen the Thursday ones yet <clears throat> as of recording with you, but like I said, four players on the injury report, I believe, one was a full participant and three were limited participants. Nobody who didn't practice on Wednesday. Dolphins had right. 18 guys on yep. the injury report. Um, a few full participants, but a lot of limited, a lot of did not participate. Um, health has been really good for this team so far this year. I mean, they had the game where Harrison Smith missed because of the concussion. They've had a like, little bit here, a little bit there, but by and large, they've been pretty healthy. And I'm curious what, what do we make of that through five games? What, what's the why of that? Because I, I imagine it can be a lot of different things at once, but how do they explain it? How do you explain it? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that have played in their favor, and they, they've done a pretty good job of trying to minimize the load on players beyond game day, whether that's been 
certainly we talked a lot about it in preseason, not playing starters. They had kind of lighter practice plans for a lot of those guys, really going back to the summer and the spring where the off-season work wasn't as taxing as it typically has been under previous regimes, certainly under Mike Zimmer. And then you go back to some of the older days where the rules were just different and everybody worked probably a lot more physically than they do now. So some of it, I think, is probably that. Some of it, I mean, there's always a little bit of luck that goes into injuries. And, sure. and something like Lewis Seen's injury is, is bad luck and you can't predict that. You can't prevent it. It's just your foot gets caught and obviously there were questions about the turf in London, not sure specifically if that impacted that play, but that's one of those where it doesn't really matter what you do. It can happen that way. So there is luck involved, but I I think the thing that stuck out to me and I'm writing about this for Saturday, um, the number of like soft tissue injuries, groin, hamstring, calf, that kind of stuff. They have had hardly any of those. I don't, I don't really know that they've had, any that you would call a soft tissue injury. And those tend to be things that pile up with muscles getting fatigued, possibly overuse, just uh, overloading players in terms of workload. When muscles are being asked to contract a lot, they tend to get tired out and and then get pulled or get tight and make something else pull. You know, all of that stuff plays into it. So I think they've done a fairly good job of keeping players fresh to this point. The the thing that's interesting though, is that they have typically been one of the healthier teams in the league in terms of players they've had on the field. I looked this up this week from back to 2009 man games lost tracks this and they are the second least affected by team, least affected team by injury since 2009. Hmm, Interesting. The thing I think is different, though, and and this is where we don't really have an answer to this question quite yet, but I think it's going to become the thing that tells the tale of the season. And I know it's the thing that this coaching staff is thinking pretty seriously about is how do you keep players fresh into December and January, uh, either with practice plans or with how you use them in games? Because there were a lot of times, and I heard this over and over and over under Mike Zimmer, that the practice plans when they were as taxing as they were. And then there was kind of this, well, when Eric Hendricks talked about a fear-based organization that had a lot to do with how they handled things with injuries, players feeling like if I'm in the training room too much to get treatment, or uh, if I'm taking too long to come back, that this is going to reflect poorly on me. So I think that and how they handle all of it, how they did handle all of it under Sugarman Zimmer, you know, you can, you can go back as far as you want. Certainly in the last few years under Zimmer, you saw teams in December and January that lost a lot of big games. They missed the playoffs by a game four times in the last six years under Zimmer. 16, Hmm. 18, 20, and 21. And in 19, of course, they make it. But they get blown out in both of those playoff games. In in the the Eagles game, I remember people talking about, well, the pass rush was flat and just didn't have enough left. You had a lot of guys played 900 snaps in the regular season, and then on to the into the into the postseason. From there, the one with the 49ers, they just got run over. So yeah. you had a lot of examples with teams that just seemed banged up or flat or just tired. At Out the of gas, of yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a conversation with a couple guys this week, just about yeah that that was a thing. That was absolutely a a, a factor in the way we played at the end of the season. So you think about. A seven-team playoff field that's easier to get in, a 17-game regular season, there's just there's more work for players in the regular season, and there's the potential of more work 
in the postseason. So the fact that you're four and one, haven't played probably a great game yet. Yeah, but not a full game. Yeah. We talked about an excess Vikings. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I mean, you're four and one. You have time to try to figure this out. And they would hope that they're at their sharpest and still fresh when it comes down to December, January, because that would, I think, be where it really looks different than what we've seen the past few years here. But what else is interesting about it, you and I were talking about this, you brought this up to me before we started recording, is they're still playing guys pretty heavy snaps within a game. Yeah. It's so, so I guess, is that, is that the piece where they're like, on game day, we can do this as long as we're managing their loads during the week, as long as we're managing it in the off season, or is that the kind of thing where you have to be wary of it being sustainable for 17 games? Well, I think certainly the, the time that you have saved probably buys you a little bit of margin. And again, there's a randomness to all of this, but uh, I, I think their hope is that lack of preseason snaps, lack of harder reps during OTAs, mini camp, training camp, all that kind of stuff probably helps because it's just less wear and tear on a player's body. But Kevin O'Connell talked about this yesterday or on Wednesday, I guess it was that we need to find more players to contribute to this team. And this has been a thing, and we've talked about this for years, but depth on this team, the lack of kind of the middle class of the roster, the veteran that makes $2 million that you can put in for 25, 30 snaps a game, that is where this has an effect. They don't have a lot of proven backups on this roster that you can come in and plug in for a, a fairly decent chunk of the game and, and reduce players' workload. And you have a lot of rookies who are hurt right now. I mean, the, the injuries they have had have been with the rookies, whether it's Lewis Seen, Andrew Booth, we should see this weekend, but we haven't seen him much yet. Ty Chandler is out this weekend with a broken thumb. You know, th there's a lot of rookies that have not been able to come in and help take the load off of some of the veterans. So I think O'Connell knows that. I think that's something they are hoping can change here fairly soon because they, they have, I think, seven starters on defense or seven key contributors, I should say, because Chandon Sullivan is one of these seven. I don't know if you call him a starter, but they have seven players on defense that have played more than 80% of their snaps. So that's a lot of guys. That's Daniel Hunter. That's Harrison Smith. That's Patrick Peterson. That's Eric Kendricks. I mean, guys that have played a lot of football in this league that you probably don't want tipping towards that thousand snaps a season before you go into the playoffs because those are going to be the guys you need to win you games if you get there. So I think there is an awareness that some of this needs to change because they just they had a pretty short bench. And I think they know that they have to lengthen this out a little bit to try to keep some of these players fresh. It's always a, a fine line because you can't lose games in the process. Right. You, you lose a game in the NBA, it's not as big of a deal if you lose a game in the NFL. But I think trying to figure out how to balance that out over the coming weeks is something they're very, they're very much studying and thinking about. And invariably, it has to come from within. We talked on Access Vikings Wednesday, the, the salary cap. Let's play the sounder here. Where's the money, Brzezinski? I mean, the salary cap, they're, they're up against it. They've got all this dead money. What do they got? Like less than a million dollars in cap space. So if people are thinking about, hey, trade, trade deadline's coming up, I think November 1st. Like, could they add somebody? Could they put someone in in a situation or all things like that like that ain't happening probably no it's not i mean they're they're one of two teams in the league right now that has less than a million dollars of cap space and they've got you know 25 26 million dollars in dead money that that ranks in the middle of the league in terms of dead money but 
They also are not a team that's saying, let's punt on this season and play with a young, cheap roster. This is still a lot of veterans on the roster and a team that's trying to win right now. So the dead money combined with that does not give you a ton of room to operate. It's them and the Chiefs, I think, that have less than a million dollars to play with. And, and you could try to get something done to clear some more room, but that means probably doing an extension or doing some type of a revised contract with a player during the season. There aren't a lot of terribly obvious candidates for that. So you'll have to get creative to try to find some money to do much of anything. Otherwise, yeah, you're talking about, you know, kind of adding on the margins here and there, things that maybe put another $100,000 on your cap as a total net increase. I mean, you can do that. But beyond that, there isn't a ton of room at the moment to help improve the team in any significant way. So, yeah, this is kind of what you have. One of the guys who uh, takes up a significant amount of the cap, as we've talked about, is quarterback Kirk Cousins. Let's transition to talk about him a little bit because he's having an interesting year in my estimation. Um, I think that the the stat that is getting the most run right now is the 4-1 and record, which includes the three fourth-quarter comebacks, the three uh, game-winning drives. But if you just look at it, objectively um his you know yards per completion is about as low as it's ever been in his career yep. his passer ratings as low as it's ever been as a starter his you know his interception rate is up a little higher than he probably would like it to be his yards per attempt his adjusted yards per attempt like all those things are pretty significantly down by like a yard from where mm-hmm. he's been with the vikings and throughout his career so what what do you what do you make of of that as you kind of evaluate kirk cousins through five games and kind of this in in this new system with Kevin O'Connell. Yeah. I mean, the turnover thing is interesting because I remember, I think it was 2020 that he got off to a really bad start. He threw like nine or 10 picks in the first six or seven games, I think. And you kind of thought, boy, this is, this is really going off the rails. And then he, he, for the rest of that season played awfully well and didn't turn the ball over very much. So he does have stretches, where you see the turnover numbers come up a little bit. And you had the one that Justin Jefferson in Philadelphia said, hey, this is my fault. I ran the route not to the right depth of where Kirk was expecting me to be. But you also have picks like last week that were not great throws. I mean, you've had some of those throws where he's forcing things and is trying to make things happen probably that he shouldn't be trying to make happen. So I think he's still figuring out a little bit of how to play in this offense. And he's talked about kind of needing to get sharper with it and and trying to get to the point where he's as far along as he was in the old scheme. Because even though they had new coordinators every year under the last few years of Mike Zimmer, from Kevin Stefanski to Gary Kubiak to Clint Kubiak, it was pretty much the same system. So there wasn't this adjustment that is going on now. I mean, it's still – kind of from that same tree, but he's got some new things to figure out. And I know they they coach more of a high to low read at some times for him. So he's being asked to look at his options downfield probably a little bit earlier in the progression than he would be before. So I, I think there's still an adjustment for him in a lot of those ways. And that may be where you're seeing some of the turnovers happen or, or some of the incompletions probably happen too. Um, they've had some drops at times, I think, that has played into that. But, yeah, there's still a lot, I think, for him to figure out. The, the, the record is good, and that's been the thing everybody's always talked about with him, is that he doesn't win enough, even if stats look nice. Right now, it's sort of the opposite, where they're yeah. winning, but his stats are not as good as they've been. And it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see 
over the next few here, if that changes or um, if the, especially if the turnovers kind of keep up, I think then you have probably more of a concern there. Well, and I think some of it um, dovetails into something you were asking him about on Wednesday out in Egan. I think you're writing about this later in the week too, about kind of some of the situational things that they go over so much and his, you know, just kind of how, how that's impacted end of game and maybe influencing some, some winning. And to your point, like you can have all the best stats in the world. If you don't do the right thing in the right moment, that can be the ball game. Uh, is this, this doesn't, shouldn't seem like it's unusual. Is this unusual? Are they doing it to a greater degree working on situational awareness than maybe more than other teams, other regimes, or is this just something that they are, that that's becoming a topic right now? Yeah, I think it's, they are looking at it more. I don't think it's something they haven't looked at in the past. In fact, Adam Thielen, when I asked him about it, said, we've done this in the past. We've had, I remember Mike Zimmer, they, I think the lead to my story about the Minneapolis miracle talked about all the situational work they had done in training camp to prepare themselves for moments like the end of that game. So they had done things like this in the past. And I asked Jordan Hicks about it. I asked, um, I remember who else I talked to about it. I think another player that had been on another team and they said, yeah, we've done this in the past. The, the teams, teams take the time to go through this. I, the thing that they said is different now is that when you have a coach on the staff and Ryan Cordell, whose job it is to look for these things, he basically looks for things that either happen in their games or things that happen around the league, maybe even things in college football, kind of these case studies of here's where somebody did this really well, or here's where somebody really screwed up. And they have a meeting with him once a week where he's basically putting together a presentation of here are all these different situations that we should talk through. What are we going to do if this happens to us? It, it seems like it's more top of mind. So players are probably thinking about it a little bit more, kind of just becoming students of those little nuances of the game, just because it is coming up more often. Uh, it's not unique necessarily that they're doing it because they've done some of these things in the past. It's just certainly more concentrated more focused. And, and from what players have said about Ryan Cordell, he, he finds ways to make it enjoyable. It's, it's kind of these, he'll kind of mix in these little clips of, you know, probably different shows and gifts and memes and, you know, things that, <laughs> things that help uh 23 year olds kind of grab onto this stuff. And it sounds like those meetings are, are a lot more lively and entertaining than you, you would say, well, Hey guys, if it gets to be a, a third and one, and we've got no timeouts left, we need to, to try to get, you know, work the ball to the sideline. And, um, you know, some of those things that you might encounter that can be kind of dry, can be kind of academic. It sounds like he's found ways to, to make it a little more entertaining for players to go through it. So I, I think it's just becoming something that gets talked about a lot more and, and probably gets uh, concentrated on as a result. But they have been much more efficient in those spots. I mean, I, I think the way you've seen them operate in a two-minute drill, everything's just moving a little bit faster, a little bit crisper. Um and, and this is a team that lost a lot of games because yes. of how those situations went in the last year or two. I mean, even the one on Sunday with Cameron Dantzler, where he gets beat for a completion, gets back up, strips the ball, and then has the presence of mind to say, I need to get down because if I get, if I would happen to lose the ball or something, then they can get it back and they don't have any time left. So if, if I get down, the game's over. And yep. Talking with Ryan Cordell about it, he said, the other thing you notice on that play, if you watch the sideline, is the entire sideline is thinking the same get thing. Down. Like, get down, get down, get, get down. down or so, get out. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah, there's, there's, I think, a little, when it's coming up so much more often, it's just going to be something that becomes second nature for players a little faster. And, and so far, it's it's helped them be four and one and not two and three or, or 
one and four, three and two, whatever it would happen to be. They, they've won a lot of these close games and the situational football has come up in a lot of it. Yeah. I feel like there was one at the end of the first half too, where they had, I think it was maybe 13 seconds left. And I'm thinking, okay, they got to throw something out of bounds. They threw something quick over the middle. Everybody knew exactly where to go. They got the ball spike. Now Joseph missed the field goal. That's a story for another time, but uh, they, they was that the Lions game. One of those games where he, yeah, it must've been uh, one of the games where they, where they had a chance to, to get to go. But I thought, I think it was the bears game where he missed the one at the end of the first half. And it was, yep. he yep. had a chance to, 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 to give it 20, to make it 24, 10, I think. And he didn't, but yep. in any event, they, they got up there really quick and it was like, wow, they, everybody kind of seemed to know what they were supposed to do in that situation. And I guess if you work on it, that helps. Yeah. I mean, O'Connell's talked about this middle eight, the, the, the four minutes before halftime and the four minutes coming out of it. And they, they gave up a lot of points. And I looked at separately this year, they gave up more points than anybody in the league in those situations, especially at the end of the, the first half last year. And that's a large, a large part of the reason they didn't win a lot of those close games last year. So there's been an emphasis on, I think the Lions game maybe was where they were starting deep in their own territory. And he thought, are they going to try to make anything of this? And O'Connell said, yeah, we're putting our foot on the gas to try to get out to midfield and see what we can get out of it. And we've seen times, I think, where they – are better at it. They're more ambitious about it. I mean, there were times I think with Zimmer where it would have just been, okay, we're just going to go in at halftime because I either don't want to have to hurry it up or I just don't trust my quarterback to right. do it. I think there's a difference there now. And they just, they look more efficient in hurry up situations in general than yeah. they have in the past. And they, they, they use it more in regular settings too, where they're trying to hurry up to the line. So I think all of that has helped. And certainly the, the, the focus on, situational football has probably made everybody able to execute it a little more efficiently and a little more at a, at more of a, a quick pace. Last thought for you, offensive line play has certainly helped in a lot of cases this year as well. And it, you know, maybe it should, if you just look at this line, it's five guys who were first or second round picks yeah. between 19 or not between 2018 and 2022. Um, the most recent being Ed Ingram. None of, you know, he's the only one drafted by, the current regime, but I think if there's a surprise in all that, it's Garrett Bradbury. I want to play Wes Phillips, offensive coordinator, quote from him from Thursday. You know, I know people had questions about Garrett uh, just from the past and, and really don't need to comment on that except to say that we think he's done an excellent job. Uh, the communication, number one, he's a really smart football player. He gets guys on the same page, and then uh, he's very athletic and strong. Uh, so I, th I think the the O line coaches, Coach Cooper, Riscotti, you know the way that they've taught the sets uh, to be able to maximize help here, eyes here. Now I can help. You know the way that they've taught how to sort out some of these pressures uh, has really been uh, top notch. Yeah, just the, the the Bradbury narrative's gotten some run lately, and he's uh, yeah. he's there's some advanced stats like pass block, run block, win rate where he's showing pretty well this year. Do we do we know any more about what we should chalk this up to? Is this just a guy playing in a better system? Is this guy more confident? He did he do something particularly in the offseason? Because if he's even fixed to an average degree, that that changes the complexion of the offensive line. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, I I he had put on some weight. He'd added some muscle. And I don't know if that has made all of the difference, but we have not seen him getting blown up by defensive tackles to the degree that we have in the past. So I, I think you know, Wes Phillips has even talked about it, that he's, he's been good at anchoring against pass blockers, which are against pass rushers, I should say. And 
that is, you know, you, you hear somebody say, yeah, he's really good at that. It's like, uh, that is Garrett, not Garrett Bradbury. My that, that Bradbury. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's a different narrative that you're hearing around him. And, and, you know, it's probably the one you hoped you'd hear when you draft him in the first round all along, but he certainly has, I mean, this is the guy that lost his job in the middle of last season. They had moved Mason Cole into that spot and then moved Mason Cole as a guard. Bradbury had to get his job back. And then they'd said, we're not picking up your fifth year option. So he's in a contract year and really trying to play for his NFL future. So that's going to give some motivation to anybody, but I think some of it has been, you know, maybe a little more stability around him has helped Ezra Cleveland. I think has had some nice moments Ed Ingram has been up and down, but not a huge liability in that spot. And, and your tackles have been awfully good where you don't have to sit there and say, um, let's devote extra help to Christian Derrissaw. You can kind of put Christian Derrissaw out on an island by himself and, and trust that he's going to be able to handle most of what comes his way. So and they, they've had some moments where they move Bradbury out to uh, to block edge rushers. They, they've had some different blocking schemes that they've used in in different spots. So I think you know, some of those things may be them trying to put him in advantageous situations, but some of it might just be him you know, knowing he has to have a big year and getting himself in a better spot to do it. I, I'm curious to learn more about this. I want to sit down and talk with, with Chris Cooper, their offensive line coach, about it in the next couple of weeks because it has been noticeable that, that, I mean, this is a guy that had been really good at getting out on zone plays. He's athletic. He's mobile. You've always known he could do that, whether it's a zone run or a screen. But seeing him be able to stand up to pass rushers is a different thing. And uh, if he's doing it well, it's a pretty big change for this offense. And it also asks the, you know, sort of begs the question, what do you do with him after this year? I mean, if he plays well enough, do you think about a new contract? It, it, that's a question for down the road, but the fact that we're even having that conversation is not where I probably would have expected it to go with the beginning of the season. Different conversations to be had for a team that is four and one instead of one and three, one and four, one and five, things of that nature. We'll see if they can go to five and one on Sunday before their bye week. Ben Gessling, good stuff. Follow his coverage from Miami on Star Tribune, startribune.com, and we'll do this again soon, Ben. All right, Mike, thanks. Great conversation with Ben Gessling and a postscript to something uh, Ben and Andrew and I talked about on Wednesday's Access Vikings. We had a little fun with the idea that the Dolphins were removing their ping pong table from the locker room. And you know, head coach Mike McDaniel had been praising players for um, you know, focusing more on their opponent, taking away distractions out of the locker room. And I just got a text uh, Friday morning while I was recording from Andrew Kramer uh, saying apparently Thursday Tyreek Hill, one of the Dolphins veterans, a wide receiver there, clarified that uh, the table was removed not because they wanted to concentrate more, but because it was bent and they're ordering a new custom-designed ping-pong table for the locker room. So I don't know where where the Dolphins are at with their with their level of concentration and level of preparation for the Vikings, but I found that hilarious that that narrative changed awfully quickly, and the ping-pong table is, uh, is pr- apparently coming back in even bigger and better form. Let's finish with the cooler. The expected is getting closer to being official. Carlos Correa, the Twins shortstop who had signed that three-year contract with the Twins before this season started with the two opt-out void years, which really made it likely that it was only going to be a one-year contract, has told El Nuevo Dia, a newspaper in Puerto Rico where he's from, that he will opt out and that uh, he will not be back with 
the Twins next year unless it's on a longer-term contract. Um, so that becoming closer to official, and you know what? Um, even if that's expected, that just reinforces that the Twins have a, a hole at shortstop next year with Royce Lewis being injured, probably not back until at least the middle of next year. Carlos Correa was their best everyday player this year. He had the most, uh, had the biggest war on the team, 5.4 according to baseball reference, 4.4 on fan graphs. He was their best player, their most dependable player. Take that out of the lineup, and uh, that's a pretty big hole to fill. So we'll see how and if they're able to do that. But uh, that getting closer to being a finality with him saying those words. That'll do it for today. Lots of good stuff coming up next week. Should have a lot of Timberwolves content as they get ready to open their season next Wednesday. Final preseason game for them is tonight, and it sounds like Towns and Gobert will play together in that game. The first time fans will be able to get, be able to see those two on the court together after the big offseason acquisition. So something to look for tonight. Should have plenty of Vikings coverage, plenty of Gopher football coverage from that big game against Illinois. Again, if you miss any podcast from the week, lots of coverage of all those things leading up to this. Thanks for joining me all week. Back at it again on Monday.